Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. Let's turn over to Matthew 9. We're going to get started there today. We're going to continue the series we started last week talking about good news. The good news. So I'm excited about what we're going to share this morning. So, once again, if you have your Bibles, let's look at Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 10. Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, that's the religious people of that day, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 12, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So today we're going to talk again about the good news, like we started last week. But this morning I want to talk about Jesus, friend of sinners. Jesus, friend of sinners. Now, just to put a little disclaimer on here, if you have any religious spirits in here, they're going to be uncomfortable by the time this message is over. If there's any part of you that's still a little judgy and religious, it's going to get squeezed out before the service is over. So this message is going to be coming through hot. And by hot, I mean physically I'm going to be warm when I'm preaching it. But I also mean honest, open, and transparent. And so today, I want to talk about Jesus, the friend of sinners. Now, last week we started this series, and I encourage you to listen to it on podcasts. It's online. It's on Apple Podcasts about the good news. And last week we talked about the good news for the world. Now, what is the good news? And I want to say this before we get going into this message, and I can't recap everything we talked about last week, but we talked about what is the good news. The Bible word for that is the gospel. The gospel translated and means the good news. And Before Jesus ascended to heaven, one of the last things he said to his disciples was, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news. That's our assignment as Christians, as believers in Jesus, to share the gospel and the good news with everyone we meet because everyone needs to know the gospel, the good news. But what is the good news? Well, it's hard to put a tiny definition on it because God did so much for us. And we need to realize that the good news is really all that God has done for us in Jesus. It's all the good things that he's done for us. That's why it's good news. And in that gospel, good news is the fact that because of what Jesus has done, there is salvation, there is healing, there is deliverance, there is wholeness, there is a new life. And it's not that we just get to go to heaven. Yeah, we do. But more than that, the good news is that God put heaven on the inside of us. That we get to be a part of God's kingdom, God's family, God's purpose in the earth. That's all the gospel. It's all the good news. And God said 
He wants us to share this good news throughout the whole world. Why? Because people need to receive it so they can experience it. Now, it's not automatic. You have to not just hear the good news or the gospel message. You have to receive it. But you can't receive it if nobody tells you about it. You can't receive it if no one shares it with you. But the good news has to be spoken, has to be shared, has to be preached, not just by preachers, but by all of us because we're all preachers in here. But we have to share this good news message. It must be shared about all the good things that Jesus has done for us. And when it is shared, people have a decision to make, whether to reject it or receive it. But when you receive it and repent of your sins and put your faith in him, then you receive all the benefits of what Jesus has done. That is the good news. But here's the thing about sharing the good news. When we share the good news message to the world, which it must be shared, it's not just important what we share. I'm going to need you to help me this morning. Now, I don't preach last week, but I'm going to really preach this week. But I, but I, but I need your response because I preach better and you receive better when you respond. The gospel message, when it's preached, it's not just important what you share, but how you share it. When we share the good news message to the world, as followers of Jesus, which a lot of you in here are, maybe not everyone, it's not just important what we share or the content of the good news. That's the easy part. But how we share it, is one of the most important things about it. That's why we want to talk today about Jesus, friend of sinners. Because how we present and represent the gospel message and the good news matters. Now we all know this. The gospel and the message is perfect. That's not the issue. The issue is the messenger. Because as you know, everybody wants the gospel good news message. Everybody wants that at the core of them because they know that. God put that in everybody. They want the good news. The only problem that we have in sharing the good news is not the message. It's the messenger. Which would be us. If there's any hindrance to the gospel getting out, it's not the message. It's the messenger. It's how we present it. It's how we represent it. It's how we talk to people. It's how we treat people when we share the good news. So, so I'm all for preaching the gospel. We shared about that last week. And I think it's the most important thing we can all spend our lives doing, sharing the good news. But how we do it matters. How we do it matters. And people want to know that you can't just say one thing. When you share the message, but your life looks different. And we got language that says the good news, but then we have a life that doesn't have any love. and doesn't look anything like Jesus. That's why most people, when they're shared the good news, don't want it. Not because of the message, because the messenger doesn't live it. 
doesn't look like the message that they're sharing because they don't look like Jesus. But when we're sharing our faith, there must be consistency between what we share with our lips and the life we live, with our language and our love. And our life should look like Jesus. That's when the message is effective. So let's turn back over to Matthew 9, and we're going to read this again, the verse we started with. Notice what this story says, Matthew 9 and verse 10, because we're talking about Jesus, friend of sinners, and we as followers of Jesus, as believers in Jesus, our calling is to be like him, to live like him, to walk like him, and we can because we have his spirit living in us. But how did Jesus treat people, talk to people, Act towards people that were not like him. That were not in the church. That were not saved. That were far from God. How did Jesus react to them? Why? Because if we're living like Jesus, we should act the way he acts. We should treat people the way he treated them. If we want the good news to be effective. Matthew 9 verse 10. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house. Notice this. That behold many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, now that's the pastors and leaders of that day, the religious people of that day, notice they saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now let's stop there. I just think it's funny, that this is just a joke, that the two categories are tax collectors and sinners. And don't we still hate the IRS? It's 2,000 years has went by, and the IRS is still irritating for all of us. Sorry if you work for the IRS, but there's two categories that everyone hated, tax collectors and sinners, and most people still do. Okay, by the way, but, but in that day, and, and nobody responded to this because you'd be like, yeah, they still act like that today, but especially in that day, the tax collectors of that day pretty much robbed people. On purpose, don't, don't say anything because you're like, IRS robs me too. Okay, shut up. Now's not the time to vent about the IRS. But in that day, a lot of times, the, the tax collectors of that day would on purposely add a lot of extra things and there was nobody reinforcing it. And so they would pretty much rob people. And so they were like the mafia of that day, the tax collectors in Jesus' day. They were, they were doing a lot of shady stuff. It was known. It didn't have the, the systems and procedures of the IRS today. There was, there was really no limit on it. And a lot of these tax collectors were, were Jewish, but they were also working for the Roman government. So they were, they were kind of playing both sides. So everybody hated tax collectors because they were shady. They were stealing people's money. It was, it was the mafia. So... They say, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Notice what Jesus says. Verse 12. When Jesus heard that, he said to them. Now, now sometimes when we read what Jesus says in the Gospels, and let me just help you when you read your Bible, we always picture everything Jesus saying as he's being so uptight and serious. And really, he's not. Because if you know the context of a lot of the things he says in the gospel, sometimes he's actually making a joke, but you don't live 2,000 years ago in Israel, so you don't get it. So what he's saying right now is actually a jab at all these religious leaders of that day. 
And he probably had a smirk on his face when he said it. It wasn't serious. But notice, he looks at these religious people who just said, Jesus, why do you hang out with sinners? Why do you hang out with people that don't go to church? Why do you hang out with people that, that aren't in a relationship with God? And this is what he said. Those who are well, wink, wink, Pharisees and religious people, because you think you're well, but you're really not. That's what he's saying there. Have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So what was Jesus saying? I'm going to go to the people that know they need help. And y'all acting like you don't need any help. So guess what? I'm not coming to help you guys because you guys are so uptight and self-righteous and think that you've earned God's favor and blessing because you live a certain way and you act disgusted by sinners and you think you're better than everybody else. Jesus said, I don't go to those who think they're well. What does a physician do? He goes to those who are sick. And I'm going to go help people that got issues and are humble enough to admit I got issues. I'm going to go to people that know I need a savior. I'm going to go to people that know they need a healer. I'm going to go to the people that know they need a deliverer. I'm not going to go to you guys. So when Jesus said this, he was being serious, but he was also taking a jab at the religious people that day. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Verse 13, but go and learn what this means. Oh, you know that irritated the religious people that day. Because this is a quote from the Old Testament, and they knew the Old Testament. And Jesus said, go learn what this means. So they were probably hot. And what does Jesus say? He gets us back to where the main thing should be. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, or we could say self-righteous, but I called sinners to repentance. And this example for us should be the example that we live as believers. Jesus is our example. And this is not an isolated passage. If you read the Gospels, time after time again, in all four Gospels, you'll hear this come up a lot. Jesus, why do you hang out with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus, why do you go to so-and-so's house? This is not just a one-time thing. This is all over the Gospels. Because Jesus lived that way. Because Jesus was a friend of sinners. But we are his followers, so are we a friend of sinners? Because if we want the good news message to work, we got to be in relationship with the person we're talking to. If we want the good news to work in somebody's life, we actually have to be their friend before we share the good news of the gospel. And that's what Jesus did, and Jesus was a friend of sinners. Have you ever wondered this before? People that weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. People that weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. That's how he was able to minister to them. That's why he was able to love them. That's why he was able to change them because people that weren't like him liked him. Why? Because of his great love and compassion for them. And people from all over, if you read the Gospels, the multitudes 
of people and sinners were drawn to him. They wanted to be close to him. They wanted to touch him. They wanted to listen to him. They wanted to be around him. But Jesus was nothing like them, but yet they liked him. Because he was a friend of sinners. He was a friend of those who are outside of a relationship with God, outside of the religious system, outside of the church, outside of the things of God. He was a friend to them. Why? Because he loved them and he cared about them and why he wanted to heal them, restore them, redeem them. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the well, but I came for the sick that need help. And that's what our churches should be. That's what our churches should be. Why are we meeting if that's not what our churches should be? If, if our churches are not hospital for the sick and broken people of the world, then we're a country club. And a country club is a place where everybody looks the same, acts the same, talks the same. They've gone to a certain level in society and they all just hang out with each other and avoid everybody else. And that's not what church should be. Church should be a hospital for the broken and the hurting. Why? Because we want to see them healed like Jesus. It's slow going so far, but you'll warm up to me before the service is over. Jesus, the friend of sinners. So I have some things I want to share to you today on how are we going to be like Jesus and be a friend of sinners? These are some things I've seen in the Gospels through Jesus' life. How do we relate to other people? How do we treat other people? How do we share the good news? Not just the message, but we get the messenger right. Because if we get the messenger right, trust me, it will go a lot better when you're sharing the good news with other people. And that's what I want to talk today about is getting our heart right our thoughts right, our attitudes right towards people that are not like us and be like Jesus, which that's the goal. And he was a friend of sinners. So the first thing I want to share with you is this. If we're going to be like Jesus and a friend of sinners, we're going to have to choose relationship over religion. We're going to have to choose relationship over religion. Now hear me today, when God reconciled you to himself, he reconciled you to other people as well. As followers of Jesus, he put his love in your heart. So you could do the mission of God with his power, with his ability. And that love is for a purpose to minister to other people, to help other people. And it's God's love. So it's, it's bigger than what you can just do in your own natural love because your love will run out. You'll get irritated at people. You'll give up on people. You'll quit on people. But good thing, God's love is not like our love. But he put that love in us as followers of Jesus. That we could be long-suffering with people. We could be patient with difficult, irritating people. That we, that we could love and not give up on people just because they make some mistakes or, or just because they're out of church for a few years or just because they're trying to figure things out. Our love can go beyond that and we can be a friend of sinners. So our good news message is effective and they come to the knowledge of Jesus. But if you read the Gospels, once again, when Jesus talked to the most religious people that day, 
the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were doing hundreds and hundreds of laws from the Old Testament every day to prove to God and other people that they were right or that they would be acceptable to God. And you know, there's a common theme in the Gospels that Jesus kept getting into contact with these religious people and having confrontations. And you know what he would always say? You guys are missing the point. You're doing all these things, but you're missing the point. Why? You're choosing religion over relationship. And what would Jesus always say? Really, there's only two commandments you should be doing. You're doing hundreds of other ones that don't matter, but you're missing the two that do. And what are those? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. Now, if we think, oh, that's not me. That's 2,000 years ago. I'm not no Pharisee, Sadducee. But do we choose religion over relationship with people? Because we're doing all these things for God and all these things to prove ourselves right, but yet we're missing the two main things that he actually cares about us doing, which is loving God and loving other people. Now, Jesus, in his earthly life and ministry was the friend of sinners. He chose relationship with God and relationship with others over religious systems. But you know, that happens to all of us in the church world. Somewhere along the line, religion, duty, laws somehow become the point when they're not the point, And we miss the main thing, which is loving God and loving people. And this is what happens to a lot of people. And I've seen this because I've been in church my whole life, raised in a pastor's home. This is all I know. A lot of people, after they've been in church for a while, their love for God and their love for other people grows cold. It does. And then they start missing what the main thing was all along. They, they had the main thing when they first got saved. But then they start drifting from that place and they start growing cold towards God and they grow cold towards other people. Now notice in the Bible, those are always connected. Always connected. If your relationship with God is cold, your relationship with other people will be cold. If you don't have a good relationship with God, no wonder you're frustrated at sinners. Because loving God and loving other people always go together. So we all have to look at our own heart. It's easy once you get into church and you're, you're going through the motions, you're, you're tithing, you're in ministry of helps, you're, you're at church all the time, you, you kind of separated from the world, which a lot of us, we needed to do that. And that's good to some level, but, but we're just hanging around with church people and we're in life groups, all great things, all things I promote, but we go down the line and our love for God and our love for people grows cold and we start choosing religion over relationship. And it shows to God and it shows to other people. We miss the main thing. And we start going through the motions with God. And if we do that with God, it will show in our relationships with other people. I love this. Recently, I heard Pastor Nancy say this. Pastor Nancy Dufresne, who's coming to our church in about a month. She said, she asked God, how do I love you more? 
She said the response was, by loving my people, and by loving my people, you are loving me more. Because they're connected. Look at what this says in 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves, notice everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. They're in a good relationship with God when they show love to other people. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. In this love, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation or mercy seat for our sins. Beloved, listen to this, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. They're always connected. Now, now same chapter, but jump to verse 20. Look at what it says. He's talking to believers here. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Let's go home. There it was. You got it. Why? Because they're always connected. You can't. No, no, hear me. Now, this is not my notes, but I just felt that. We can't come into church and sing worship songs and do a Holy Ghost lap and say, I love God, and then treat our neighbors like trash. You know what the Bible says? You is a liar. We can't come in the prayer line and fall out and shandai, shandai, tie my bow tie, and then treat the person down the street who's struggling in sin like they have the plague. We can't, we can't come and do this religious thing and act like we love God. No, they're always connected. If you love God and you have a relationship with God and it's thriving, you'll love other people and your relationship with other people will be thri- thriving because they go together. They always go together. So if you say you got a good relationship with God and you worship him and, and, and you read your Bible and you pray and you're involved in church and you love God, then you ought to be the most loving, caring, compassionate people to other people that you know. They go together. They go together. If someone says, I love God, he said it, I didn't say it. Blame John. (laughs) I love God, He, he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, How can he love God whom he has not seen? Verse 21, and this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. It goes together. And if we're going to be a friend of sinners like Jesus was, we're going to have to choose relationship with God and other people over religion. Now, it's going to get spicier but I need you to be here with me. I need you to keep connected in what I'm saying today. So talking about we got to choose relationship over religion if we're going to be like Jesus, a friend of sinners. One of the best examples of this in the whole Bible is the Good Samaritan story. 
And Jesus shared the parable of the Good Samaritan, which was this, that there was a man traveling on this road that was known to have thieves, known to have people that could hurt him. And then he got everything stolen from him. He was on the side of the road, left for dead, like all of us. And this was the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus said, the first two people that came by were religious leaders. And both of them said, I can't help you because religion. I can't help you because of these religious laws. I can't help you because I might get dirty. I might get messy. But then the last person came, who, which was a good Samaritan, and Jesus said that man grabbed him, bandaged up his wounds, put him on a donkey, sent him to the inn, and took care of him. And he goes, now which one was a good neighbor? Which one showed the love of God? Well, the last one did. But the two first people that came by him were church people in the story. Now, we're not so far removed from that that 2,000 years later, we still act the same. And hear me this morning, and I want to say this very loud and very bold. That if we make excuses on why we can't help hurting people, we are religious and we're not in a relationship with God. And I've heard more church people in my life give me excuses why they can't help somebody who's hurting because they want to make everything seem to have a certain appearance. What will church people think of me if I go to eat with them? Well, what if they need help? Who cares what church people think about you? I'm the pastor. Do you? What, what if I have to go to this part of town and, and rescue somebody out of a house who's living crazy? Do what you got to do. Be like Jesus who chose relationship over religion. And hear me today. I don't care what kind of church you're in. You're thinking, oh, I'm not religious anymore. I don't go to certain churches. I go to a church like this. I'm not religious. No, if you make excuses on why you can't help people that aren't like you, you are religious. You're religious. And I know why a lot of times we, we don't do it because why? If we help somebody, it's going to take time out of our life. Oh, my gosh. Out of our day. And helping people that need help that are sinners is a messy, dirty job. It's easier to ignore them. It's easier to stay in your Christian bubble. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're responding. If you're offended now, you'll definitely be offended by the time I'm done. It's messy and it's dirty to deal with people's issues. But somebody dealt with your issues. God, first of all, but other people did. But it's messy and dirty. That's why a lot of churches don't do it. That's why most churches, it's statistical, that in the United States are declining. Uh, people sharing their faith is declining. Why? Because people don't want to get in the mess. 
They don't want to get in the dirt. They don't want to help people because it's easier to stay in your bubble, ignore it, and act like it's not going on. It's easier. Do you know us as a church, if I stop pushing, the reason I'm pushing so hard on the staff and on the leaders and all, all of us to do something is because I want to actually reach people like that. And I could just shut up and we would have an easy church. Easy. It'll be easy. Wouldn't have to say anything. Wouldn't have to challenge anybody. We could just go through the motions and you know what this church would do? It would start declining and declining and declining and it would die because we're not here to do that in the first place. I don't want easy. I don't want easy. I want the difficult people. I want the messy people. I want the dirty people. The people that Jesus actually came to save. Because we're, as a church, going to choose relationship over religion. Pastor, stop pushing us. Stop challenging us. Stop doing this. If I did, it would be easy. It's easy. Just keep the worship the same. Keep dressing the same. Keep, keep preaching the same three or four messages that are related to believers. And just ignore everybody else. That's what a lot of churches are doing. Most churches in our camp and company, that's the way they preach. That's why there's only believers there. No lost people. No new people. Not for this church. Not for this house. We're going to live like Jesus. Are you with me so far today? If we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to be a friend of sinners. How do you do that? You've got to choose relationship over religion. But I get it. For all of us, it's easier to keep your distance. It's easier to stay out of it. But that's not what Jesus did for us. That's not what other people did for us. Now, I'm hesitant to take these steps, but I'm going to take them anyways on the next few points by the response thus far. I thought you were excited after last week. Y'all were just like hanging from the chandeliers last week. You loved it. If we're going to be a friend of sinners like Jesus, we're going to have to have convictions with compassion. Convictions with compassion. That's the next thing I want to share this morning. If we're going to live like he lived and love the people he loved, we're going to have to have convictions with compassion. Now, there's a reason I'm saying that because we need to understand this. Jesus was absolutely perfect, absolutely holy, absolutely right. He lived a sinless, spotless life, yet he hanged out with people that were sinners. But he didn't mess up his holiness by hanging out with people like this. Jesus had convictions with compassion. He was absolutely pure, absolutely holy, absolutely righteous, never crossed that line because he had convictions, but he had compassion. And one of the main reasons, hear me, that they were drawn to Jesus and they liked Jesus was not just his love, but because he was different than they were. 
He had a different life. He had a different lifestyle. He had a different purity about him. He had a different holiness about him. He had a different righteousness about him. And that was different than the way they were acting. And that difference was attractive. He had convictions with compassion. And that's why I wanted to share that point with you today because we as followers of Jesus, we need to be able to go into settings like that and keep our convictions. Because you being different is what makes you stand out. By you not falling in with everybody is what is attractive to your lifestyle like it was for Jesus. Convictions with compassion. Now, Jesus lived differently, talked differently, acted differently. He was absolutely holy and pure and perfect, but yet hung out with sinners, was a friend of sinners. Convictions with compassion. But why would somebody want what we have if we're the same as them? They wouldn't. The Bible says that Jesus was grace, compassion, and he was truth, conviction. And Jesus lived that way. The way he talked to people, he spoke to the truth in love. One of the greatest examples of this was the woman caught in adultery. They, they threw her before Jesus. And they said that she was in the act when they found her. Which probably one of the Pharisees was sleeping with her. Because how would they know where she was? So they threw this naked lady in front of Jesus and said... What you going to do about it, Jesus? And Jesus responded with convictions and compassion. What did he say? He who has sin cast the first stone. That's how he got rid of all of them. The only one worthy of throwing a stone would have been Jesus because he was perfect without sin. But then he said to her, neither do I condemn you, compassion, but go sin no more, conviction and truth. And that's how we help other people. That's how we're a friend of sinners, walking like Jesus with convictions and compassion. But I love this verse, and this is in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9. It's the apostle Paul speaking about the way he ministered to other people, the way he shared the good news with other people. Notice what he says. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19 in the message says, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. He wants to reach people, share the good news. Notice what he says. The religious, the non-religious, the meticulous moralist, the loose living immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. Now listen to what he says. I didn't take on their way of life. Convictions. But notice what he did. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world. That's compassion. I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. And I've become just about every sort of servant there in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did this because of the message. And I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. 
So we're talking about convictions with compassion. What did the Apostle Paul say when he was reaching a wide range of people? He said, I didn't change my convictions. I didn't change my way of life, but what did I do? I tried to get in their world. Hear it from their point of view. See it from their experience. That's compassion. So that I could save many people. If we're going to reach people and be a friend of sinners, we're going to have to have convictions and compassion. But, but hear me this morning. How do you have, though, compassion on people when you don't feel compassionate towards people? Well, the Apostle Paul said it and Jesus lived it. You have to get into their world and hear their perspective, their point of view, their experience. And when you do, you'll have compassion for where they're at. And when that takes place, you are able to minister to people that you would have never been able to minister to before. I'm going to say some challenging things here. But let's think about this. If we want to reach people with conviction and compassion, well, how do you have compassion? You got to hear other people's story. You got to listen to their point of view, their background, their history, their perspective. And a lot of us as believers, we don't. Why? Because it's easier to just judge and write somebody off. It's easier. And really, honestly, if, if you're just in a Christian bubble alone or, or just in church alone, a lot of times you're kind of naive to what's actually happening in the real world and the challenges that people have. But it's easier to judge them. Now, let me give you an example of this. Let's just say there's, there's somebody in your life that's an alcoholic. And if we're going to give the church religious response, we're going to be thinking, man, what's your problem? Why are you sinning? Why are you addicted, man? You're better than this. What, what are you doing? You know that's hurting other people if we don't hear their story. But it's amazing to me, once you hear somebody's story, then you can have compassion on them. Because you know the alcoholic you're talking to that you're irritated at? A lot of times, there's always pain, trauma, Abuse, hurt in their life. That's why they got there. But it's easy to write them off and act like, oh, they don't love God and they just want to do what they want to do. No, they're hurting. And the alcoholic that we're judging, the reality is when they were younger, their mom beat them, physically abused them for years. But if you don't hear their story, you're thinking, oh, they just want to do what they want to do. No, there's a root to this. And there's pain and there's hurt. And they're trying to fill it the best the way they know how. They're trying to numb the pain the best they know how. They're trying to heal themselves the best they know how. And since no one's ever shared the good news with them, they're trying to medicate. But if we just want to judge them and not hear their story, we won't be able to reach people like that. But how many of you know if you heard somebody's story like that, you would, you would think differently about the alcoholic. 
realizing their whole life they were physically abused by their mother. That's why they started drinking. That's how they became an alcoholic. Compassion. We'll take it a step further. Let's think about the, the person that's deconstructing their faith. That, that's vocal on social media. That says they hate church. They hate God. They hate pastors. They hate people like Christians. And, and we're automatically thinking, those little rebellious, stinking people, bunch of Satanists. They don't love the Lord. Now, if we actually got into their world and heard their point of view and their perspective, once again, a lot of those people, there's a place of pain and hurt and trauma. That's not just coming out of nowhere. They're hurting. That's why they're talking that way. And maybe if you sat down with a person deconstructing their faith saying, I hate church and I hate pastors and I hate religion and I hate this, Maybe if you actually talk to the person, they would say something like this. And I apologize if this is too crude for Sunday morning, but this is the reality. Maybe they were raped by a Christian leader at a church. Too real for you guys? Is it, is it too real for you guys? Did you? And then that same person is getting on social media saying, I hate church, I hate God, I hate pastors. And you're thinking they're just being rebellious. No, they're hurting because the only church... And church leaders they know hurt them. And that's the only church or godly people they know were the people that raped them. And then we say, oh, they just, they're just rebellious. They're just trying to do whatever. But you wouldn't know that unless you heard their story. You know, once they heard, you heard their story, you would think differently. Wouldn't you talk to them differently? Come on now. Would you not talk to somebody differently if you heard that story? You wouldn't go in guns blazing, acting like I know the word and you're not right. You would go, I am so sorry. That's horrible. And what would you do? You could actually show them the real church, a real Christian leader, the real gospel, the real good news. Not done. You guys bored? You want to go home? Okay. All right. Golden Corral is not going to be ready for another 30 minutes anyways. We're talking about how do you live like Jesus? Convictions with compassion. But how are you compassionate towards people? You got to get into the world and hear them out. Listen to somebody. Hear their perspective because I would dare say 99 out of 100 times, there's hurt, there's pain, there's trauma, there's abuse, there's some point of hurt in their life, and that's why they're sinning or acting the way they are. Majority of time. Now, one ever, out of every 100 is just an idiot kid doing what they're doing. But even in that idiot kid, there's some place of pain and hurt and trauma. But most people are dealing with a lot of stuff. That's why they act out the way they do. It's compassion with convictions. So what about the person who's dealing with same-sex attraction, transgender, LGBTQ? 
every person I know that is living in that lifestyle or having thoughts in that way, there's always a story attached to it. But if you go in acting like, well, I know what the Bible says. I know what's right. You can have your convictions, but that does not supersede the compassion and love of God. Hear me today. Even with the LGBT community, there is a place of pain and hurt. This is something Mamsie and I have talked about before. And he's had some personal experiences in his own life. And he's had people share with him. Even a story like this, we could automatically say, well, well, they're just trying to, you know, they don't care about what God says or the Bible says about sexuality or whatever. No, there's a place of something there. There's hurt. A lot of times in those situations, I'm not saying everybody, there's somebody abused them when they were younger. I know for a fact, Amzie and I know somebody, a female. The first time she saw a naked body, she saw her dad's porn collection. So, when she grew up, she liked women because that's what she was exposed to. Place of pain, place of hurt, which no child should see pornography in the first place, but that was her first images. So when she got older, she got into a same-sex lifestyle. But if we don't hear anybody out, how could we ever reach people, love people, show people compassion if we just stay in our corners? Because once again, that's easy. It's easy to shout on social media when you don't know the person. It's easy to sit in the four walls of the church and act like, well, everybody else is just rebellious and they don't love God anyways. No, maybe they're hurting. Maybe someone abused them. Maybe there's some other painful issues in their life. And if some follower of Jesus would actually hear them out with compassion and show them the love of God, that would change them. And here's the good news. The good news is not that we change so God will love us. The good news is God's love changes us. And that's what we should lead with as followers of Jesus. Not, you need to change so I can love you. God doesn't do that to us. It's I love you and that love, the love of God, is what changes people. Changes lifestyles, changes addictions, changes habits, changes destructive things, changes hurts, changes abuse, changes trauma. God can heal that, but it's the love of God that changes us. Now, I'm going to close because I don't know how much more you can handle me today. But I want to make a few more comments, and then, I, and then I want to share one more point with you as we close today. We're talking about Jesus, friend of sinners. How do we do this? We, we got to choose religion, or we choose relationship over religion, and we choose and have convictions with compassion. Now, since, since you brought up the subject of LGBTQ, because you guys brought it up, <laughs> let me just say this. And, and we'll, go, we'll go on to my last point. And I'm, I'm not trying to call them out because 
what they're dealing with is no different than what other people are dealing with. But we're talking about having convictions with compassion. What do we say? In, in all those situations, there is a place of hurt and pain and somebody needs to show God's love. So, Pastor, what do you think about LGBTQ? You could hear a pin drop in here, couldn't you? <laughs> what do you think about it? I think this. I think that we need to show them the love of God. You're waiting for another point. I think we need to show the compassion of God. Now, when I'm saying this, I have convictions. I know what the Bible says. I know what God's word says about sexuality. I know the way that God made people. I believe in that 100%. I have convictions. But I'm not going to let my convictions get in the way of me loving somebody else who's not like me. I can have convictions with compassion. And I'm not... You're, you're saying, oh, pastor, you act a little like there's a gray area, like you don't know what you believe. I know exactly what I believe. I know it exactly. And I would share it kindly if they asked me to tell them the truth. But that's never going to override my compassion for other people. And that's where we should stand as a church and as believers. Now, thinking about this with the LGBTQ community, and I know it's awkward for us. This is like the one sin in the church world that everybody gets really awkward because it is. We don't know how to handle. It's like we want to love people, but then we don't know how much to allow or what to do. You know what? As your pastor, I don't know either. I stand, let's love people, and we'll figure it out when we get there. But let's think about this. Do they deserve to know the good news that you know? Do they deserve to have a relationship with Jesus like you do? But then why are they the only sin that's excluded from the church world, excluded from Christians like you can't? We can have convictions but still be compassionate. Now, and I'll get on another point because I know you guys are, you got goosebumps right now. You're so just like, what does he got to say? <laughs> but think about this. If the church and people that love Jesus can't help them and they can't come to us, then who can they go to? Who can they go to? Everybody else deserves help, but then they don't deserve help? No, that's not right. And a lot of people will come to a church or talk to another person who loves Jesus because they want help. They need somebody to talk to them. They need somebody to share the good news with them. But if we just exclude them and kick them out compared to other things, then they won't hear the good news. And I'm not okay with that. We can have convictions and be compassionate. Now, Pastor, you're saying, well, what's going to happen to our church? We're still going to have our convictions, but we're going to be compassionate. Somebody walks in here that's in a same-sex relationship. 
We're all not going to be awkward. I know that. We're going to show them the love of God. Then what are you going to do, Pastor? We're going to figure it out as we go. I'm not going to deny what the Bible says, but also we're going to be compassionate. Because they wouldn't step into a church building unless they were looking for some help and some love. And I'll let off the break, but let me say one more thing. You know, and I believe what the Bible says, LGBTQ, you know, some of those issues, that's sexual sin, the Bible says. But why, as believers and as a church world, do we exclude them from coming to church or being around us? But yet there's other people in church dealing with sexual sin issues, but they don't get kicked out. I know for a fact, there's probably been multiple guys in here that watched porn last week. But you get to come to church. Is it true or is it true? Sexual sin, sexual sin. Whether it's a lesbian relationship or porn. Either way, the Bible says that's sexual sin. And it's hurting you and hurting other people. But we let the people that look at porn come to church. We let the people that are sleeping with their boyfriend or girlfriend come to church. Which the Bible says is sexual sin. But then we don't let the LGBTQ person come to church because that's awkward. And we're scared about it. We had a good run, church, right? I'm going into retirement. I'm going out on top. 35. We had a good run, church. Man, that was fun. That was fun. Convictions with compassion. Convictions with compassion. That's what we need to be as followers of Jesus. Brother Daryl, come up and help me so the anointing will come in this place. <laughs> Did you guys receive that? Did I say everything you've wanted to say and I just said it? Thank you. I know you're all thinking it. Like, what, Pastor, what are you thinking about this? Think I'm going to love people and figure it out? I don't know. And if God tells me to talk to somebody, I'm not afraid to talk to somebody. But for now... We're just going to be compassionate. So how do we be a friend of sinners? We choose relationship over religion. We have convictions with compassion. But lastly, I just got to listen to that for a second. Thank you, Brother Daryl. But lastly, we need to live a life with open doors, not closed. The last thing I want to share with you is we need to live a life with open doors, not closed. If we're going to be a friend of sinners, look at what it says in Luke 15. This is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. Luke 15, verse 1. Luke 15, verse 1, if we could pull that up. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to hear him, That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 3. So he spoke this parable, saying. Now, 
We're not going to read all those parables, but listen to this. Luke 15, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. It's the story of the lost coin, the story of the lost sheep, and the story of the lost son. And Jesus told these three stories. Why? Because they said, Jesus, why do you receive sinners? Why do you eat with sinners? Why do you love on people that aren't like you? Why do you love on sinners, people that are outside of the church, outside of religion? And Jesus said, let me tell you three stories. Story of the lost coin, story of the lost sheep, and the story of the lost son. In all those stories, they're finding something that was lost and is now found. Just like all of us were lost and Jesus found us. And Jesus said, that's why I do what I do. Because I came to seek and save that which was lost. But in the last story, the story of the lost son, and I'm going to explain part of it, then we're going to jump into reading it. It said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger son decided, Father, give me all your inheritance, and I'm out of here. Because he thought a life without his father would be a better life than with his father. And it says that that lost son went away. He went to Vegas. That's a message translation. And it said he gambled it away. He slept with all the women he could. He drank everything he could. And then it said there came a time that he came to the end of himself. Do you know everyone comes to that time in their life? Some sooner than later. Some hit that earlier in life. Some hit that later. But there's a time in everybody's life that they come to the end of themselves. And they've run out of everything they tried to do and it doesn't satisfy them. They've tried it all. They've experienced it all. And it left them empty. And they come to the end of themselves. And notice what it says in Luke 15. Let's pick it up in verse 16. Speaking of the younger son, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great far way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Stay with me. These verses get so good. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here, kill it. And let us be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. And they begin to be merry. But, but hear me. The reason I'm reading this lost son is I don't want to talk about the younger son. I want to talk about the older son because that's us. Because there's two sons in this story. There was one that went away and there's one that stayed in the house. They stayed in church. 
And I said, if we're going to reach people and be a friend of sinners, we're going to have to live with open doors, not closed ones. And we're not going to be those believers who have the older brother syndrome like we're going to share in the story. And notice what it says about the older son. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home because he was received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. See, he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you've never given me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots and killed the fatted calf for him. I love this. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. Notice, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother who was dead is alive again, and he who was lost is found. Stay with me just for a few more moments. Hear what I'm saying this morning. We as people sharing the good news, we need to be a friend of sinners. But how do we do that? We got to live lives of open doors, not close ones. The reason I read this passage is because all of us in here can, can become the older brother. We've been in church. I've even heard church people talk like this before. When new people start coming in, when people from the world start coming in, I hear church people say, man, I've been serving at this church all this time. Never got that kind of welcome. I've been doing things right, and they just got into church, and God gave them a new job. And we get that older brother syndrome, and we close off our life instead of open up the door for these people coming in. And it says that the older brother was angry. He kept the door closed. But I love what the father said. The father said, you've been with me all this time. Everything I have is yours. You could have been eating filet mignon every day all these years. And it's not your brother that held you back. It's your attitude that holds you back. It's your religion that holds you back. It's your judgment that holds you back. It's not the person coming in. It's not your brother that, that was lost and now is found. It's your own stinking attitude. Because you could have been in the house wearing the best robe all these years. You could have been having the ring on your finger all these years. You could have been eating filet mignon all these years. But your attitude of judgment held you back. And now you're mad at somebody new when they're getting theirs. When God's restoring them, when God's healing them. But you could have had that a long time ago. Don't ever act like somebody else is holding you back. God has enough for all of his kids. But let's be very careful as a church family because it's been spoken over this church that we're going to be a region-changing church. You know what that means? That means there's going to be a lot of people 
A lot of different types of people. That means there's going to be people from New Albany and Jeff and Louisville and Clarksville and Hinderville and Scottsburg and Floyd Knobs and Starlight. God bless Starlight. I love Starlight. There's going to be people from all over coming to this church. But when they get there, they don't need to find a bunch of older brothers. Angry and grumpy that people are being restored. When they get there, we, they need to find people that were like the Father. That were like Jesus in the story. And what's that? They live a life of open doors. And we as Christians, especially seasoned ones, we need to judge our own hearts and say, am I being like the older brother or am I being like God in this story? Hear me as your pastor, and I know we're going late, but you'll still, you probably won't beat the Methodist, but you'll still get there and you'll eat. As your pastor... As the future of this church goes, we're not going to be older brothers around here. We're going to be like the father. And you know what the father did? What did the father do in the story? This should be all of our response. All of our response. We should not be in the fields. Know where we should be? On the front porch with dad. If we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to be on the front porch. We're not going to be the older brother pouting in the fields, not dancing, not singing, not coming to the party. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to be just like the father sitting on the porch. And what did it say? When the, the person, the son that was lost was coming from a great way off, what did he do? He didn't sit on the porch. Yeah, you better apologize. Come on. Climb on up here. You know, what, you know what the father did? He ran to him. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we're not going to be the older brother in the fields pouting about it with our arms crossed, being judgmental. We're going to run to people that are trying to make an effort. As for me in this house, when we see somebody just making an effort towards God, we're going to be running to those people. When we see somebody just reaching out to God, we're going to be running towards those people. Maybe they just returned one text. We're going to be running to those people. We're going to be doing everything we can. And when we get there, we're not going to remind them of their sin. We're not going to remind them of their failure. We're going to be with their dad, the Father God, and we're going to say, bring out the best robe. Bring out the best food. My brother who was lost is found again. Not in the fields. Like you never did that for me at church. No, we're going to say, I'm with you, Dad. I'm glad my brother's back. I'm glad my sister's back. And yeah, I've been here all this time, but I'm going to jump with you. And I'm going to I'm going to turn the music on you and you can use my Apple playlist and I'm going to dance just like I just came back home because he who was lost is found. I'm not going to be the older brother. Not going to be the older brother. 
I'm going to be like the father waiting on the porch with an open life in an open hand in an open door whenever you want to come back come on back there ain't nothing between us the door's open the house is open it's not closed it's open and when you get back we're going to celebrate and when you get back we're going to eat we're going to be merry and we're going to forget your past just like I got my past forgotten and we're going to celebrate I preached myself happy today did anybody get anything this morning We're going to celebrate. If we want a region change in church, that's the kind of church we need to be. We need to be. Because we all realize in here, at one time, we were the younger son. Somebody did that for us. And how many know it was the people in the church that loved on you that changed your life? It's not the people that avoided you. It's the people that hugged you and said, I'm glad you're here. And I'm closing, I really am. But I got so much good stuff to say. But my dad, coming out of three years of being a drug addict, he talks about the story. He went to that first Baptist church in Fairbone, Ohio. And when he went in, he had long hair, he had a long beard, he had track marks on his arm, he had lost so much weight. And he looked completely different than everybody in that First Baptist Church. But you know what he said? What changed his life? There were some older men in that church. That hugged him. That said, I love you. That said, you belong here. That said, we're glad you're here. And those men changed my dad's life that he was open enough now to hear the good news message. Because people, when he came back home, didn't say, get out of here. We know what you've been doing. They loved him. And as you know, not too much long later, he gave his life to Jesus, got born again has spent the last 50 years of his life in ministry traveling the world. But that would have never happened if there wasn't some men in that church that said, I'm not going to be an older brother. I'm going to be like the father. Come on home. I'll eat with you. I'll dance with you. I'm just glad the son that was lost is now found. Because in reality, we all need to understand this. It was never about being worthy to be a son. Neither son was worthy to be a son. But you don't become a son and daughter of God by worth. You become a son and daughter of God by birth. We were born into this thing. We were born into the kingdom of God. We were born into being a child of God. And everything we have is a gracious gift from our father. We don't earn it to be a son and daughter of God. We receive it. And we're all in this together. Could you stand up with me this morning?
I went long today. I apologize. But I love you. And I don't take any of those words back. Could we lift our hands this morning? Father, we love you today. Come on, can we just thank him for a second? Come on, I just want you to think back on your life and on your past. Think about everything that God has brought you through. Think about the times that he reached out to you. Think about the times that he saved you, he healed you, he delivered you. Those nights that you wanted to give up. Those nights that you wanted to commit suicide. That that God kept you. And God helped you. And God was there for you at your darkest moments. Come on, let's, let's lift up out of our own mouth some praise and thanksgiving. Father, we thank you today. We worship you today. We honor you today. We thank you, Father, for your great love for us. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. That it is the power of God unto salvation. That we're going to be sharers and preachers of this good news. That we're going to live a lifestyle that shares the gospel message. Father, open up our hearts today from the front to the back. Give us new heart and a new desire. Get all judgment out of us. Get all hate out of us. Put your love in us in a new way. Open our hearts and open our lives to new people, to people that need you, to people that need help because we need help. And you've helped us. Father, we thank you today. We're going to choose relationship over religion. We're going to have convictions, but yet have compassion. And we're going to live a life with openness towards other people, not closed off. Help us to be that kind of church. Help us to be that kind of church. You're in agreement, church family. Help us to be that kind of church that is able to receive people and help them. Help us to be the region-changing church you called us to be effectively. Open our hearts to it. Open our hearts to it. Do a new work in us. Help us to think differently about it. Help us to be just like you. Just like you. Not like the older brother. That we run to people in need. We run to people making an effort. We run to them. And we celebrate with them. Help us to be those kind of people. We love you today. We love you today. We love you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We thank you, Father, for today. Anybody been helped this morning? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You know, I only preach things that God's preaching to me about. God's doing a work in my heart, so I feel like I should share it with you. That we be reminded of these things. To be the people that we're called to be. We just thank you, Father. We thank you for your great love for us. Your great compassion towards us. Help us to extend that compassion to other people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Before we go today, I know a lot of us are saved today. You know Jesus, but... With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, let me ask for a second, if you need to receive Jesus into your life, get a fresh start. We're going to say a prayer together today as a church family. And if that's you, just raise your hand this morning. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. 
let's just say that prayer today together to start. Father, I thank you for a new start, for a new life. I receive Jesus into my heart, into my life. Forgive me of all my sins and make me a new person. I thank you. I'm a part of your family today in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we rejoice for a second together? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hey, as we close, next week, don't miss it, Life Group Sunday. And invite people, invite friends. This will be a great time to do it. We're going to talk about life groups. We're going to sign up for life groups. And then afterwards, we're going to have a big old party. And all of you are invited. And bring all your friends too. Like I said, food trucks and stuff for your kids. We're going to have a tent outside. We're going to just hang out and spend this day together and do life together. So don't miss this coming Sunday. Are you with me? So. We love you guys. Let me pray real quick. Father, we thank you today again for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this church moving forward. Thank you for helping us this morning. We thank you that we're going into a great week. We thank you with your favor, your strength, your ability upon us. And we love you today and we love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.